Ever wonder why 95% of leads do not convert? Why cold call rates are down and prospects don't open our emails? Why our responses of robocalls and implanting pixels to track user interaction, mostly without permission, is backfiring spectacularly? Well, that's what we intend to find out here in the Buyerside Chat podcast. There are scores of podcasts about selling, but most miss the shift that has come upon the buying selling process. The initiative has since moved from the supply to the demand side. The Buyer Side Chat, your podcast of record for B2B buying, talks to actual buyers, persons, not personas, in the quest to understand the real buyer's journey, their trials and tribulations, challenges and outcomes they're striving for. Welcome to the Buyer Side Chat. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Just a quick intro to Pitchlink. How do you build a platform that helps buyers trust you from the get-go by giving them all the tools that typical sales folks would never provide proactively? The no thank you button, for instance, Pitchlink allows a prospect to disengage with a single click because keeping someone who sees no value in continued dialogue or allowing someone the ability to string the salesperson along because there was not an easy way to exit is ensuring your sales team remains on a wild goose chase. The single click no thank you allows easy disengagement and ensures your sales team is following those leads that are most likely to convert. Want to know more? Sign up for a free one-on-one session. Welcome to this end of season episode of the Buyer Side Chat. In this episode, we bring you face to face with Sharon Drew Morgan, inventor of the buying facilitation model. So, I created this form of question that goes beyond bias and is systemic. So, I call it a facilitative question, and it's meant to help the other person figure out what they need to figure out. This one's very different from sales because sales ask questions so that the seller knows how to pitch, how to present, or what you need, which really, folks, need is not the reason people change. When was the last time you looked on the scale and you noticed you needed to lose a couple kilo, a couple pounds, but you never did it? Do you have a need to lose weight? Yes. Have you done anything about it? No. Need is not the issue, okay? Congruent change so that excellence is at the end is what you have to look for. Sharon Drew Morgan is an original thinker and thought leader. She is the author of the New York Times business bestseller, Selling with Integrity, and seven other books on how people make change decisions that may conclude in buying, as well as what? Did you really say what I think I heard? That breaks down the gap between what's said and what's heard. Sharon Ju has been inventing ways to facilitate change, developing facilitation models for over 40 years and has trained over 100,000 salespeople in her buying facilitation model. Sharon Ju is a thought leader on how buyers buy. Meet Sharon Ju Morgan. Karanju, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to have you with us today. Thank you. Uh, do tell us about the wonderful work you have been doing over the last three decades. Four decades. Okay, <laughs> I stand corrected. Count, but who's counting? Um, 
Oh. So I've been thinking about change and brains since I was a child. And I eventually began unpacking how brains decide. I have Asperger's, Asperger's syndrome on the autism spectrum. And my behaviors were always different from other people's. And I didn't understand why, why whatever I was doing was so wrong. So I decided I wanted to change from the time I was like 12, 15 years old. And I, whatever I did, I couldn't get it right. So I decided that it wasn't my will or my discipline. It was my brain. So I began studying brains and unpacking brains and how we end up doing what we do, which I learned was an output, which is the last thing. We, we can talk for hours about why you can't change a behavior by trying to change a behavior. So behavior mod doesn't work, folks. Um, so as I learned more and more, I was also changing jobs along the way, and I ended up um, on Wall Street as a stockbroker. And I was very, very, very successful. And like all salespeople, we were first taught about our product and the details of what we were selling. It wasn't until I got money from somebody in 1983 to start up a tech company in England. I had I didn't know really what computers did, and there weren't any languages, and there was no Google, there was no webmail, there was no email, there was no websites, nothing. <laughs> and when I started up my company, I realized what the problem was with sales. I realized that we were selling product, but the last thing I could do as a buyer was to choose something to buy, that I had all these steps I had to take, all these people I had to take care of, all these buy-in decisions, these workarounds, these stakeholder discussions, all this stuff had to happen, but happened behind the scenes that salespeople could never see because as a salesperson, I was always looking for need and pushing product, and it never occurred to me the change in management issues that went on behind the scenes. As I was learning that, I was putting all this change together with what I was learning about brains, and I realized they were basically the same, that any decision required this many changes before the end result, the output, the action, the behavior, the buying, the change. So I began putting together a model called buying facilitation. This was in 1985. And I actually coined the terms buy cycle, buying patterns, helping buyers buy, buyer's journey. I put those terms, I coined those terms in the mid 80s and um, they meant something different to me than the sales field has since defined them as the last five or six years. For me, it meant the whole journey from first recognizing a problem to ending up as a buyer. Because people don't start off as buyers. People start off just wanting to solve a problem at the least cost to the system. Then they end up as a buyer when they have no further choice and the cost resource is okay. <laughs> 
So the, the problem with sales is that it only focuses on that, those last few steps that people take as they become buyers and they push to that 5% and the 95% that are en route and in process, they ignore and overlook. So what I did, um, I consider myself at this point um, an inventor of brain change models. And I've developed a model for creating new neural circuits in the brain so you can change your behaviors and habits. I wrote a book, oh, and I've written nine books. Um, I wrote a book on how we can bridge the gap between what somebody says and what somebody hears and how to change our brain. I invented a new form of question that I've trained about 100,000 salespeople with my buying facilitation process that actually teaches the other's brain how to make their best decisions based on their own criteria. So I actually do a lot of work going into brain circuits. Um, I'm not schooled. Um, I, I, I'm in, as a professional, I'm a journalist. Um, so I'm a, I'm a professional writer and I have a master's in health sciences. Go figure. But I can see brains. I can see the circuits. And then I just have to figure out how to say it so that people understand it. And it's the same with my buying facilitation model, which is one of my inventions. Um, people still think it's a sales model instead of a change management model. And I have found that most salespeople don't know the difference between the buy side and the sell side. And of the 100,000 salespeople I've trained, I've never met a single one that knows what's going on for true on the buy side which is stunning to me because people don't buy the way they expect their their buyers to buy. They don't buy that way. So why do they expect other people to? So that's who I am. I'm um, a little bit eccentric um, inventor of brain change models and an author and a trainer. That's what I am. Wonderful. I think that, that, that sums up very nicely. Uh, although I, I know you left out a lot, but, but it sums, sums up sums up nicely what uh, what people could expect so so i will go backwards because i know a buyer is not a buyer till the 10th step in your model who is the buyer let's say you're 27 years old no i'm going to give you let's say you have a 15 year old daughter mm -hmm. who's a cheerleader in high school and you have a son who's a starting quarterback on the high school football team. He's about 18. And you have a spouse, a wife who's got a nice job that she's really happy with. And you decide you want to move about 200 kilometers away to the next town over. Hmm. And it really takes too long to drive back and forth. So you'd really sort of have to move. Hmm. Okay. So let's say you've been having that dream and having that dream and having that dream and you wake up one day and you say, I really have to do something about it. What's the first thing you would do? Possibly discuss it with my wife. Okay. Now I do have a lot of people that say the first thing they would do would be go online and look up real estate in that town. <laughs> and then I say, oh, so you would get a divorce. They go, oh yeah, I forgot my family. So, all right. So now you say to your wife, Honey, I'm thinking of moving. It seems important to me to move. And she says, you know, let me ask my boss. Maybe he'll let me work three weeks and then come back a week. Let's see. 
So now you have your wife and her boss, two stakeholders here, okay? And your daughter says, Dad, I'm a cheerleader. I'm not going to leave till I graduate. I'm going to go move in with Aunt Sally. Hmm. So now you have the daughter, Aunt Sally, and Aunt Sally's husband, Hmm. okay? And your son says, Dad, I'm a starting quarterback. I'm not going to move for this year. I'm going to move in with my girlfriend. Let's ask her parents. So you end up with 10 stakeholders. Okay? Mm. These are real stakeholders. If you were thinking of some kind of a house in your head that morning, what are the odds of it being the same now that there's 10 people involved? Zero. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Now, if you had told a friend the very first moment that you were thinking of moving, and you got a call and said, your friend just told me to call you, I'm a real estate agent in that town, and I know you have a need. Mm. Would you have a need? Well, not defined need for sure. That's right, okay? And would you be a buyer? Not at that point. That's right. No, but I heard you had a need and I heard you're moving to that town. I have really good real estate. Let me tell you about how I go about the process of selling real estate to my clients. Would you like to sit down with me over coffee so I can tell you about it? Unlikely. Oh, no, but I'm really good. I mean, you can ask your friends. We'll tell you how good I am. Let me tell you about the people I've worked with. You see the problem? Yeah. Sales sells the house on a supposed need that hasn't been worked through yet. So is it a need? Because you might decide after you have everybody, 10 people at the table, you might decide that, gosh, my family can't move with me. I'm going to get a trailer or a caravan and I'm just going to go one weekend a month and not buy a house because I want to stay with my family. Okay? You are no longer a buyer because the cost of the move would have been too high. Okay. Right? Yeah. Now you understand the cost of the... Okay, that's the cost of the change. And until the system, the people, the group, agree that they can manage the cost of the change... Hmm. They would prefer to stay the same. So all the salespeople are pushing features, functions, and benefits and saying, you need this. It's good for your system. And all they're doing is pushing the solution without having any understanding of what was going on. Because, yes, they had a need, but the cost of a purchase was too high. The model that I developed teaches people how to go from having a thought about a problem up into the point where they say, you know what, we don't have any workarounds that will fix it. Everyone's bought in. We understand the change. Now we're ready. That part is the buying process. The problem is that salespeople don't know how to change their hat and they try to sell, people don't want to buy anything, okay? They just want to solve their problem at the least cost to the system, all right? 
And until they figure that out, they're not buyers. The more content marketing that you're sending, they don't read it. They're trying to solve the problem on their own. If I had said to you, let me send you data about the way I work in real estate, about the houses out there. Would you have read it? No. Maybe you would have looked at it for some research and tell your wife and kids. But you wouldn't have needed those details because you weren't sure you were moving or anything. So the only people we capture with our database, solution-based content are those people at the end that have figured all this out. And the sales model, because it's solution placement based, never addresses this portion. So that's the difference between the buy side and the sell side. Change management, solution placement. Let me just go back a bit on this. Okay. Take you to your England days where you actually figured while you were buying the, your own decision making process which I believe was sort of triggering your thought that this needs to be a framework. Yes. So, so, so take us back to those days and say, how did you think and come up with the framework? Like I did when I was a child, I began watching myself to notice my patterns because I walked in confused because it's like, why couldn't I just buy something I had to take this one into account. I had to call that one. Then I had a client that did this. And I went, and I was new at business. So this was all new to me. And then I went, I'm going to start unpacking because my brain unpacks things. I just unpack things. I just look at patterns. I hear the world through patterns. I see the world through patterns. I listen through patterns. I notice patterns. So I began noticing my patterns and tracking them over the course of a year to see at what point I did what and what what happened then. And just when I thought I had a decision, something else happened. I had to go back to the beginning. So I began tracking all this. So that's when I've been, I've been thinking for years, for 10 years actually, about how to help people consciously reconfigure their unconscious. I know that's a little bit wonky. Um, but what I finally did was I came up with this new form of question because I couldn't figure out a way into the brain because any way in would be biased by my regular thinking. I can't do your thinking. I can only do my thinking. So I created this form of question that goes beyond bias and is systemic. So I call it a facilitative question. And it's meant to help the other person figure out what they need to figure out. This was very different from sales because sales ask questions so that the seller knows how to pitch, how to present, or what you need, which really, folks, need is not the reason people change. When was the last time you looked on the scale and you noticed you needed to lose a couple kilo, a couple pounds, but you never did it? Do you have a need to lose weight? Yes. Have you done anything about it? No. Need is not the issue. Okay. Change, uh, congruent, congruent change so that excellence is at the end is what you have to look for. So this new form of question is based on 
my helping you. So instead of me saying, why do you wear your hair like that, which is information gathering for me because I'm a hairdresser and I think you should have blue hair, versus how would you know if it were time to reconsider your hairstyle? So that question takes you into your objective meta observer coach witness brain so that you can look down on all the possibilities which are now not biased because it's objective from above and I can teach people how to go in there and I can teach them how to put things together that they so how would you know that all your necessary stakeholders are on board and present. That's a present. That's a question to help you figure out what you need to figure out. Um, when I was working with KPMG, um, the question, the first, the first question they would ask for a fifty million dollar international sale. I mean, this was a big sale. The first question that I created with them was, "Hi, Mr. Jones, CFO, or whatever." How are you and your global management team communicating in a way that makes sure they all have the available data when they needed to make decisions? Okay, so that when he heard that question, he just went, oh, my God, we're not doing that. Oh, my God, I'm teaching them to think about the things that they need to do anyway. Because they're not going to buy until the home management team's in agreement. So why why wait a year for the home management team? They have to do it anyway. So why not help them do it efficiently as long as there's no sales involved? Because once you start throwing in a pitch and this and this, the trust is gone. So you're building up trust that you're serving them. You're really serving them. You're really helping them. And you're reducing and collapsing the sales cycle because at KPMG, they went from a three-year sales cycle to a four-month sales cycle. Okay? The time it takes them to come up with all the people and the decisions is the length of the sales cycle. Why not help them do what they have to do anyway? It takes a different hat. You have to put on a change management hat, not a sales hat. You have to enter serving, not trying to gather data for yourself. KPMG stopped doing all of their big presentations in my my group. They just stopped. They didn't need them anymore. And my clients don't do proposals anymore. Because once the client goes through this process with you, they're not going to pick anybody else. Plus, you've helped them figure out all the problem areas all the stakeholder relationship issues, all the places where there, there's resistance. Okay? Because everything I'm doing at this end is helping them manage congruent change on their way to excellence. They have to do this anyway. And it's the reason that sales only closes 5% because you're going after the low-hanging fruit the people that have fallen off the truck and you're missing all these people who are en route but haven't gotten there yet. It's time for a short break. Stay with us. After the break. But what I'm doing now is with LinkedIn, I write articles as marketing for my ideas and then I get a lot of people like you who respond and I start a little course. But oftentimes if I hear something, I'll pose a facilitative question on LinkedIn and I get I started a different kind of relationship. 
I do know that whoever does show up, generally, I start using questions on them, and I can hear where they are along their path. You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest-growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at biz C-A-S-T dot I-N Business Podcast Network Podcasts End to End Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for the Buyer Side Chat and founder of Pitchling, the Buyer Seller Engagement Platform. Let's dive right back into this episode from where we left it. How do you as an organization find these 95% people who are in the journey somewhere I don't know today how that would work. I do not know. 30 years ago, I could pick up the phone. But what I'm doing now is with LinkedIn, I write articles as marketing for my ideas. And then I get a lot of people like you who respond and I start a little course. But oftentimes, if I hear something, I'll pose a facilitative question on LinkedIn. And I get to start a different kind of relationship. So the, the real answer is, I don't know how to do that today. I do know that whoever does show up, generally, I p- start using questions on them, and I can hear where they are along their path. They're not always starting at number one. Sometimes they're four. To become the change facilitator in the eye of the prospective person who is going to become a buyer, 10 steps down the line for me well, to... Well, I don't know, but a person who's seeking change, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a person who's seeking change, which means they have had the... They've gone through the process and they've decided, yes, the change and the cost is okay. I need to make oh, the so change. So that's at step 10. So you're looking at right. step 10. I know, okay. I know. So I'm saying between... So essentially for me to make that connection that you, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, described in those uh, examples that you, that you shared... I have to be with him before the step 10. I have to be with him in step one, step two, or step three, right? When people call me to hire me, 100% of the time, they're not ready. 100% of the time. Just because they call me and say, here's what I want to buy, doesn't mean they're ready. So I start, like I, I told you the story yesterday, I got a call from a man named Jack Moore, who was um, the sales director for cancer treatment centers. And he called me in January and he said, I've been thinking about calling you and to have, a, have you come in and train. I've been thinking about it for a few months. And I woke up today and decided today was the day. And I said, cool, what stopped you from calling yesterday? Because thinking in systems... I could tell when he kept saying, oh, I was going to call you, I was going to call you, that there was something blocking him and there was a stuck place in his system there. So I said, what stopped you from calling yesterday? 
he took the question and he put it on his computer and he ended up calling me in December. And he said, it took me a year to reorganize, fire the people, and I realized why I hadn't called you because I hadn't done my change work. Okay? So that one question taught him to go back and do it. It has to get done. Almost no client shows up and has all the stakeholders, understands the cost of the change, has buy-in. So he, he's not a client then. He's still not a buyer. He's just thinking about it. That's right. So going back to your England days when you, you took and, and you built your framework of buying from your own example, how did that become this current uh, model that you teach people? So how did that morph and how did that sort of get augmented? Because when I was still in my company and I created this model, and I tested it on my salespeople. And then I ran a, um, a course called Helping Buyers Buy to KLM in Amsterdam in uh, 1987. So my first Helping Buyers Buy was 1987. And then I left my company and began doing consult consulting and training around London, around England. And then I retired for a while and began writing books. And then... Um, one of my books... Oh, then I got a job in 1992 when my first book came out. I got a job with Bethlehem Steel. And I had to figure out how to train. And I know that training models are just like sales models, they're pushing data and hoping somebody will get it. So what I did was I invented a new training model based on brains learning. And um, I worked with Bethlehem Steel for two years and finally tuned the material. And then my next book came out that was on the New York Times bestsellers list, Selling with Integrity, and then the whole world came to me. So... That's what happened. So I did plenty of practice and practice with my own staff, with my own clients, with Bethlehem Steel, wrote a few books. Okay, like wonderful. But I have to tell you something. To be honest, I consider myself a failure because there is a very small percentage of people, let alone salespeople, who are willing to think beyond pushing what they want to push, hmm. who are willing to pose questions based on someone else finding their own answers. It's like, what's in it for me? Well, first of all, you're going to serve another person, which for me is sort of cool. Um, but then if you choose the, the right person, you can, there's a, when I did, um, I always do pilot, pilot and control and a pilot study, I do a control group and, um, my clients have a 40% close and there's like a 5.4% average in the control group using the same list and the same product. Okay. So it's eight times higher. Okay. And I had that consistently for decades. Mm -hmm. Okay. One would think <laughs> It was an accepted model. When people call me now, they go, how did I forget the whole buy side? How did the sales model forget there's a buy side that's not solution placement based? So I have been fighting. I still get called names every day on LinkedIn, every day. 
who do you think you are? You think you're such a hot shot person. You think your ideas are so smart. I don't think they're so smart. I think they're stupid. I hear this every day still. So I'm changing a whole international industry that is used to failure. I mean, it's got a 95% failure rate. You wouldn't go to a hairdresser that had a 95% failure rate. Would you hire a person with a 95% failure rate? Would you get on a plane with a 95%? It's the only industry that thinks the 95% failure rate is okay. It's a good question, which we need to ask the industry, I guess. I mean, uh, in all fairness, I did a series on where I asked people why this 5% is, I, I had the same question. And, and I'm not you. They blame the buyer, right? They blame the buyer all the time. No, to, to be very honest, no. They, they know something is wrong. And, and they have various kinds of explanations, which some of which are true. But I, I, think, I think the crux, which we are not able to crack, is how do, you, how do you be part of this journey early on? I think that's the question so we need to answer. The problem is you cannot do it with the sales model. The sales model is a tier two model. Buying facilitation is tier one. You need them together. And I just developed this buying enablement, not buyer enablement, because then they're already buyers, a buying enablement consulting practice for marketing. So marketing can write the proper articles to bring them to the next step because sales can't do it. Marketing can change your hat to change management hat. If I'm facilitating change, I know that you need X number of stakeholders on board. And if you have three, okay, and you're going to maybe buy something that's a, a, a tech app for the whole company, there's probably more than three stakeholders involved, you know? There's probably okay, So imagine if marketing can write an article for you called how to know when all the stakeholders are on board. You go, oh my God, I didn't know this. And how do I find that article? Well, that's where you do LinkedIn and you do Twitter and you, you have do broad distribution. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. That is the big question. How do you engage or how do you, how do you as the salesperson who is not the salesperson but the change facilitator, how do you be in the horizon of people who are looking for that? That is the question. And that is the big so question. So you go to where your market is, all right? Whether you go to a, um, a conference or you go, I mean, you do the typical things, but you yeah, have to, yeah. put your, okay, you just have to get in front of the people that would be looking to change in the area that you can address, all right? So for me, I do webinars. For me, I publish books and articles, and I have a little reputation at this point, so people call me. But it, it didn't happen overnight. Yeah, it didn't yeah. just – I've done this for decades. I'm the only person I know that uses the term buy side. And they might have started recently because I've been doing it for six months. But people talk about buyer this or buyer this. 
But what you're not recognizing is that by the time they're talking about buyer, they're talking about step 10. Because it's step 7 and step 4 and step 9. They're not buyers. So all this stuff you're reading about buyers are in relation to what they're going to buy. None of it is in relation to the steps of change. None of it. And if they're talking about stakeholders, it's which of the stakeholders will agree to this price. None of it is about the change management side. None. There's another problem. Knowing brains as I do. What people don't understand, and I didn't understand this until 20 years of study, 30 years of study. When information comes in, it doesn't come in as information. It comes in as vibrations, sound vibrations. And our brain is just electrochemical. It has no meaning anywhere. So sound, ideas, words, thoughts come in as vibrations. And then there's a series of things. I have, a, I have a link of an hour where I talk about this under um, the how of change on my Sharon Drew site. I have an hour's uh, discussion of how brains change. And what happens is net, net, net. These vibrations become signals. And the signals get dispatched to a circuit out of... 86 billion circuits for translation. So all of this comes in and ends up being translated by a circuit we already have in our brain. If we don't have a matching circuit, the brain takes something close, they call it close enough. What percentage is that close? I don't know. And where there's extra signals, the brain discards them. Okay? And leaves you with whatever's left over. So when I speak concepts that people aren't familiar with already in their brain, there's no place to translate them except through the old concepts which is why when you get stuck somewhere and you're so sure of it, and I can see that that's not the circuit. I can hear it a million times. And you keep going, no, that's the place I'm translating. No, that's the place. It's not correct, but your brain tells you. I can say ABC, and your brain will put you down the ABL circuit, and it won't tell you I said ABC. It'll tell you I said ABL. That's what your brain tells you. Is it accurate? No. And so I can hear this every day of my life. I hear this from people. So that's another reason people have difficulty understanding because I can help them build in new circuits of understanding a little piece at a time. People can read some of my stuff and begin to build new circuits. But until new circuits are built, they're only going to have old circuits to translate with. And they won't understand me. That's the problem I've had. That my ideas are a little bit beyond normal, unfortunately. The Buyer Site Chat is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. 
PitchLink enables high-quality interactions between buyers and sellers through presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create personalized sales presentations and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive, buyer-qualified engagement. PitchLink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversation. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intrusion. Call us on 650-847-5884. That is 650-847-5884. Sharon Ju, it was wonderful talking to you and have a, have a great evening and, and talk to you sometime soon. Thank you. This episode brings us to the end of this season of the Buyer Side Chat. We heard insightful discussions on how the new buyer is buying with a stellar lineup of experts from all over the world. For a complete list of conversations, check the show notes for this episode. We will take a break after this show to come back with renewed vigor with sought-after guests and deeper insights. In the meanwhile, do sign up for Moxo, our new invite-only community for buyers, sellers, marketers, and subject matter experts. To get an invite, write to moxo at pitch.link. That is M-O-X-O at pitch.link. I wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and super successful new year in 2022. Thank you for listening. Until we meet again, stay well and get to know the new buyer better. Thank you for being with us today on the Buyer Side Chat. This is the podcast of record for the Buyer Side Journey. And those who know, that's the journey that matters. We hope this conversation helped you with insights that you can go and apply right now to your own value transaction process. See you in the next episode of the Buyer Side Chat.